Father, we echo the truths of, of the songs that we have sung. Lord, we thank you that God the Son became a man and not only became a man, but became a man of sorrows so that he could accomplish our redemption. Lord, he became well acquainted with sorrow and with grief, and he bore our sins, Lord. And it's not merely that we've failed or that we're addicted to certain behaviors, but we have transgressed the law of Almighty God, and we are enslaved to our, our iniquity, Lord, and we have a Savior who has come, and, and because God so loved the world, you, are, you sent that, that one to be our Savior, and he has come, and he has redeemed us. He has uh, died on our behalf and risen from the dead, and he has brought us into freedom, freedom from sin, Lord. We thank you for, for Jesus. And Father, we thank you that his grip upon us is firm, that he is the one who holds us fast, uh, that nobody can take us out of his hand. And because he is one with you, it's not only his hand holding us, but your hand. We have the, the hand of the Trinity gripping a hold of us. And yes, we are required to persevere in our faith. We have that responsibility, Lord, but it is your firm grip upon us that ensures that we will keep believing and that we will enter into the, the full experience of our salvation when our Lord comes back to judge the world. We thank you for these truths, and Lord, through your word this morning, we pray that you would deepen our love for our Savior as we meditate upon who he is as our great Redeemer, and may that truth transform us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. We're finishing chapter 2 today. And we are looking at verses 17 through 23. Ruth 2, starting in verse 17. So she, Ruth, gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives, or he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they are, have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids, so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. You've probably all heard the saying that it is darkest just before the dawn, 
And I don't know how scientifically accurate that statement is, but it's meant to be a metaphor, meaning that when a situation is at its bleakest or most difficult or most painful, things are about to turn around. And just like I don't know how scientifically accurate that statement is, I also don't know how true to life that metaphor is. For unbelievers, this world is as bright as it's going to get. There is an eternity of hell awaiting those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, who do not turn to him for life everlasting. But for the believer, this life is as dark as it is going to get. And there's a bright redemption uh, that we have come to possess and that one day we will come to fully experience when our Lord returns. But when it comes to Naomi, this, this phrase, it is darkest just before the dawn, was certainly true in her experience. We've seen the darkness that she has had to walk through in chapter 1, in how her husband and her two sons have died, and how she feels that God is against her. And then in chapter 2, we have seen how seemingly out of desperation, Ruth asks Naomi for permission to go out to the fields and to glean, that is to gather up the leftovers of the harvest. And Naomi's response to to that question from Ruth in verse 2 of chapter 2 is merely two words in the Hebrew, go, my daughter. That's all we hear of her. Her life seems swallowed up in darkness. But little does she know that the dawn of hope is about to break in to her life. And as we go through the rest of chapter 2, excuse me, you'd think I was 15. It's just the Lord keeping me humble. So let me try that again. As we go through the rest of chapter 2, we're going to see such a wonderful parallel here to our own redemption. And what we see in this passage is going to cause us to more deeply value our own Redeemer and the redemption that he has brought to us. And as we see redemption begin to break into the dark life of Naomi, as we see redemption begin to dawn in her life, there are parallels here to our own redemption that we have been given. And as it begins to dawn upon her life, there are three aspects of that redemption that we're going to see in verses 17 to 23. And the first aspect of redemption that we're going to see is the notice of redemption, or redemption's notice, as I've put it in the notes. And we're going to see that in verses 17 through the first half of 19. And again, last week we left off at verse 17, but let me read that again for us. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. The result of Ruth's hard work combined with the extraordinary generosity of Boaz in that he allowed her to glean far more than any normal gleaner would be allowed to glean. So Ruth's hard work combined with that extraordinary generosity of Boaz was resulting in this harvest of an ephah of barley. And last week I mentioned how commentators in commenting on how much an ephah is, the low estimates of that was 29 pounds. So Ruth threshed out 
about 30 pounds of barley from what she had been able to glean. And that was an amount that a gleaner would never even dream of being able to collect on just one day's work. Verse 18, she took it up, all 30 or more pounds of it, she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. So after Ruth's long day, she makes it back home to Bethlehem, carrying her heavy load. And when she gets back to where she and Naomi are staying, as Naomi sees Ruth stagger into the door with this load of barley, you can picture Naomi standing there slack-jawed and wide-eyed as she sees what Ruth has come home with. And not only does she see the enormous quantity that Ruth has brought back, but Ruth proceeds to pull out the leftovers of the roasted grain that she had been given when Boaz had served her lunch. So Naomi sees two things. She sees Ruth bring 30 pounds of barley into the house, at least, and she sees the roasted grain. And what does she conclude? She's had help today. Someone has taken notice of her today. There's no way Ruth would have been able to glean that amount on her own. And certainly, Ruth wasn't out there in the middle of the field lighting a fire and putting a pan with some barley over it to get some roasted grain for herself. No, somebody had shown her favor. And that's what they hoped, remember? Back in verse 2, Ruth said, Let me go to the field and glean behind someone in, in whose sight I may find favor. Well, the favor she's received is far beyond what Naomi and Ruth had hoped for. So naturally, like any mother-in-law, Naomi is curious. Verse 19, her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today? And where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. She asked Ruth where she worked, and no doubt with a very surprised and excited tone. And then she prayed a blessing upon whomever it was that took notice of Ruth. And notice the words she uses, who took notice of you. We saw that back in verse 10, remember, when Ruth was talking to Boaz, and Boaz uh, gave her such access to the, the harvest, and she says, why have you taken notice of me, a foreigner? And as, as Naomi recognizes that someone took notice of Ruth, I wonder if Naomi herself is beginning to take notice of what is happening in her life. I wonder if she begins to see the hand of God at work in her life through these circumstances. I wanted to show you that there's a verbal link between this part of chapter 2 and chapter 1. If you go back to verse 18 of this chapter, notice where it said that Ruth took out or took the roasted grain out and gave to Naomi. That word for uh, bringing out, that word is the same word that we see in chapter 1 and verse 13. The second, or the, the end of the verse there, when Naomi says, No, my daughters, it's harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth. 
It's the same word as gone forth, against me. So the brought out of chapter 2, verse 18, is the same word as the gone forth of chapter 1, verse 13. And back in chapter 1, Naomi had attributed the tragedy that had befallen her to the hand of the Lord going forth against her. But now in chapter 2, we have Ruth's hand extending to her the roasted grain. And I wonder if in that simple act, she's beginning to discern the hand of the Lord in both events. Not just her tragedy, but now in this unexpected blessing. Can she see the wheels of redemption beginning to turn? Can she see the dawning of redemption coming? Does she sense that maybe there is some hope for me and my daughter-in-law? Maybe the Lord's not against me the way I thought he was. And I wanted to pause here to just get us to think about our own Christian testimony. Can you remember the when and the where when you noticed redemption first begin to break into the darkness of your own life of sin. Maybe it was a trial that God used to bring you to the end of yourself so that you finally began to look upward to the Lord. Maybe it was a kind act that someone did to you that made you think, boy, I have a, there's a gracious God inviting me to come to him. Maybe it was the first time you remember hearing the gospel preached to you and you began to consider the claim that the Lord Jesus Christ has upon your life. Can you recognize that God's hand was at work in your life then, extending grace to you, causing you to take notice of him who had so mercifully taken notice of you? So that's the first aspect of redemption that we see in this narrative, the notice of redemption. As we work our way through the next half of verse 19 of chapter 2, we begin to see a second aspect of redemption, and that is the name of redemption. The name of redemption. Ruth answers Naomi's excited question, and no doubt she is excited as well. She's probably Tired from the long day of work, but she's excited about what has happened. Verse 19, halfway through. So she, Ruth, told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Now I want to alert you to another verbal connection that helps bring out the significance of what's going on here. The word for told, Ruth told her the name of the man with whom she worked. That is the same word that Boaz emphatically used back in verse 11. When Boaz said to Ruth, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. The word for fully reported, it's the same word used here. Ruth told her mother-in-law about this man. So, The parallel here is that just as others had reported to Boaz Ruth's generosity toward Naomi, so now Ruth is reporting to Naomi the generosity of Boaz toward her. And remember, neither of these individuals 
generosity was motivated by having such a report made. Sometimes we do things because I want people to talk about me. That wasn't their motivation. What were they motivated by? They were motivated by the need of the one that they were loving. Yet, God saw fit to honor both individuals by spreading the report about them to others. Now, in this verse, notice that out of all that Ruth told Naomi about the man who took notice of her, the narrator sees fit to record only one detail in verse 19. The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. I'm sure she said a whole lot more than that, but that is the detail that the narrator wants us to pick out out of all that Ruth had shared about the day, the name of the man. And this is a climactic moment in this narrative because this is the moment when the dots start connecting for Naomi. This is the moment when Naomi and Ruth get caught up to speed with us, the readers. Because remember verses 1 through 3, we, the readers, were made aware of this man and of his relationship to these women. But remember, as Ruth went to the field and began working in that field and encountered this man, she came to know his name, but she was still in the dark as to what? As to his relationship to Naomi. And Naomi, being Boaz's relative, certainly was aware of the relationship between them, but what was she in the dark about until Ruth came back? She had no idea that it was that man's field that Ruth was in and that it was that man who had shown her favor, who had taken notice of her. It wasn't until Ruth said the name of the man that things begin to click in Naomi's mind. Once she hears that name, it all begins to make sense. And after only hearing two words from her since chapter 1, this news just brings a torrent of words out of her mouth. It's finding out the name of this man that seems to bring her back to life. She was like a shriveled up seed, no hope in her life. But the moment she hears this name, she is like a watered plant opening up again. Verse 20, how does she respond when she hears the name of this man? Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives, or he is one of our redeemers. So Naomi immediately recognizes the name, and she proceeds to share the significance of this with Ruth. And Naomi again prays a blessing upon this man. She had done that before, right? In verse 19, may he who took notice of you be blessed. But now she prays a blessing upon this man as someone who knows who this man is. He's not merely someone who took notice of Ruth, but she understands that this is actually someone who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And that word for kindness is chesed, loving kindness. He's not withdrawn his loving kindness to the living and the dead. And there's yet another verbal connection here. When Naomi says he has not withdrawn his loving kindness, 
That word for withdrawn is the same word that was used back in chapter 1 and verse 16, where Ruth told Naomi to not urge her to leave her. The word for leave, it's the same word. To leave, to withdraw, to forsake. Just as Ruth had refused to forsake her loving kindness to Naomi, so Boaz had refused to forsake his loving kindness to Naomi and her family. And by favoring Ruth the way that he had, Boaz was showing loving kindness, faithful love, not only to Ruth, but to who? To Naomi, to her dead husband, and to her two dead sons. And we get here another insight into Boaz's motivations for why he did what he did. We saw last week that the reason that he gave for why he was showing her such favor, it wasn't because of some family obligation, some duty. It was in response to the generosity that Ruth had shown to Naomi. That was why he was doing that. But here, in the words of Naomi, we see yet another layer to why he was doing that. It was because of the fact that he was a man who had loving kindness for this family. And remember, loving kindness is a word in which many concepts are wrapped up into one. It speaks of covenant faithfulness, of mercy, of kindness, of graciousness, of goodness, and of love. Boaz did what he did for Ruth because of that. He was acting out of loving kindness toward this family. He wasn't just some random guy inspired by this testimony and and doing her a favor. No, there was a a deeper connection there that was driving him to give so generously to them. And Naomi, in verse 20, she further reveals the significance of Boaz's actions. And she does that by revealing to Ruth that he is a relative, and as a relative, he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. He is a goel. It's that key word in this book that we discussed a couple of weeks ago. It first appears here. And it's it's the word goel, which is often translated as kinsman redeemer. And I refer you back to the sermon on chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where we went in depth talking about goel, what that meant, the laws surrounding that. But just to sum that up for you now, a goel was a relative who was responsible to deliver someone in need. For example, if a relative needed to sell his property because he was poor in order to raise money, the goel could buy it back from him. In other words, the person who bought it couldn't hang on to it if the goel wanted to buy it back for his relative. If a relative sold himself into slavery because of his poverty, the goel could pay the price to free him. Whether the the owner wanted to sell him or not, the goel could make it happen. If a relative was murdered, the goel would carry out justice upon the murderer. If a relative was wronged and uh, was carrying out a lawsuit to try to get what he had been deprived of, the goel could aid him in securing justice in that situation. That last aspect we didn't cover last time, So if you have a pen handy, I can just give you some references to look that up, to see that aspect of the goel. 
We see it in Job 19, verse 25. We see it in Psalm 119, verse 154. We see it in Proverbs 23, 11. We see it in Jeremiah 50, verse 34. And we see it in Lamentations 3, verse 58. So, back to chapter 2 here. Boaz, by so providing for Naomi and Ruth, Naomi recognizes that Boaz was acting in a way that was in keeping with his position as a goel, as a redeemer. He was acting to redeem them from their poverty and distress. Now, as we'll find out later, as is implied in what Naomi says here, he is one of our redeemers. We'll find out later that there, there was a relative who was more closely related to them than Boaz was. And there may have been more. There may have been other redeemers. But Boaz was second in line. He wasn't the first in line. So the, the responsibility technically didn't fall on him as much as it w- fell upon that, that first guy, that more closely related guy. Yet, Boaz did not feel that such a technicality exempted him from trying to redeem this family. He didn't take the attitude that says, somebody else will take care of that. No, he stepped up to take care of them himself. He was keeping the spirit of the law, not merely the letter of the law. And that's what loving kindness is all about, isn't it? When you show true loving kindness to someone, you don't stop once you've checked off the last little legal technicality. You keep loving that person in their need, whether all the technicalities have been fulfilled or not. And if you think about it, the fact that Naomi says he's one of our redeemers suggests that there were others out there, and what were they doing? They were doing nothing for this family. There was only one of them who was willing to act to deliver them from their distress. And in how Boaz acted, who is Boaz imitating? He's imitating God. God who is so often described as the Goel, the redeemer of his people. God, remember, redeemed all his people from slavery to Egypt. Turn back to Exodus chapter 6. This is when God is talking to Moses about what he intends to do for his people. Exodus 6, verse 6, the Lord says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you, the verb ga'al. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. We also see that God avenges the spilled blood of his people. Turn over to Psalm 72. All that the the Redeemer was responsible to provide for his relatives, we see God providing for his people. Psalm 72, verse 14. 
He will rescue, it's the word for redeem there, he will rescue or he will redeem their life from oppression and violence and their blood will be precious in his sight. Also, God pleads the case for his people. Go over to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, starting in verse 10. This is Solomon saying, don't try to steal property from your neighbor. Verse 10, do not move the ancient boundary or go into the fields of the fatherless, for their goel, their redeemer, is strong. He will plead their case against you. We also find that after God's people were exiled, he, the redeemer of his people, promised to do what? To reestablish them in the land that they lost. Remember the goel, he can purchase the property back for the person who had to sell it because of their poverty. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah 48, verse 20. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans, declare with the sound of joyful shouting, proclaim this, send it out to the end of the earth, say the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. So Boaz, he's, he's just doing what God does for his people. And this God whom Boaz is imitating not only acts in that way, but he carries it out to the unimaginable degree of taking on flesh. God the Son became a man in order to do what? In order to redeem us, to deliver us in our greatest need. Why did he do that? Well, one one aspect of it is that we had no kinsman who could redeem us. There was nobody else who was able or willing to step up and redeem us. There were no fellow sons of Adam who could step in and pay the price for our sins against God because every son and daughter of Adam shares the exact same need. There was no one of us who was without sin. There was no one of us who was not enslaved to sin. There was no one of us who did not deserve the wrath of God. There was no one of us who was not held captive by the devil. So what did the Son of God do? Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, The end of verse 11 says that he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Verse 14, Hebrews 2. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help, which is what a redeemer does. He gives help to the descendant of Abraham. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The Son of God became our kinsman by taking on humanity so that he could redeem us to the full. And just as Boaz was a willing redeemer when there were no other willing redeemers, showing great loving kindness to Naomi and Ruth, so this one of whom I speak is our willing redeemer, showing great loving kindness to us who do not deserve it. And what is his name? His name is Jesus. Do you get as excited to find out the name of this Redeemer as Naomi was excited to hear about the name of her Redeemer, Boaz? How much worse is our plight than was the plight of Naomi? And as soon as she heard her Redeemer's name, she begins to open up and come to life. Well, you and I, if we realize that I am enslaved in my sin, I am a rebel against God, I am headed for an eternity of eternal conscious torment in the pit of hell, and I have no ability to save myself, and we hear the name that there is someone, not just anyone, but my very creator became a man, became my brother, so that he could redeem me from that which my sins have earned for me. We will spend eternity excited over the fact that we have come to know the name of our Redeemer, and his name is Jesus, the name of our redemption. As we continue in in the narrative here of chapter 2, we find a third aspect of our redemption, and that is the nearness of our redemption, or if I can make up a word, the not-yetness of our redemption. Verses 21 to 23. Once Naomi revealed this information to Ruth, Ruth herself must have started thinking over the day's events with a new perspective, knowing who this one was who was taking notice of her and showing her such favor. His actions toward her took on a whole new light. And you can picture her coming to that understanding and beginning to make more sense of the day's events. Verse 21, she seems to excitedly add more details that she had uh, left out at the first. Verse 21, then Ruth the Moabitess said, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. She tells Naomi that Boaz not only had gave her permission to have uh, unprecedented access to the harvest, but he has given her permission to do that for the entire two-month harvest season. From the barley harvest, which was the first field crop harvested, to the wheat harvest, which was the last field crop harvested. And if she got 30 pounds in one day, they are set, aren't they? Starvation is no longer a fear for them. Verse 22, 
Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids, so that others do not fall upon you in another field. It's interesting that Naomi, she doesn't say, Oh, good, I don't have to worry about food anymore. What was she concerned about? The safety of her daughter-in-law and the Redeemer has provided for the safety of her daughter-in-law. She expresses her approval as she sees that it will ensure the safety of her beloved daughter-in-law. Because not all men were full of loving kindness and integrity like Boaz. But this Redeemer was. Verse 23, So she, Ruth, stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So that's what Ruth did. She stayed close to Boaz's maids all throughout the harvest, taking advantage of what he was providing, and she continued to work hard to provide for the woman to whom she had pledged herself. She continued living with Naomi and thereby continued making good on her own commitment of loving kindness to this woman. But when you think about it, it almost seems like something of a letdown here in verse 23. Because, you know, the harvest, that, was, that went on for two months, seven weeks. You mean to tell me that after all that Boaz did for her right at the start, that two months go by without Boaz making another move? It's like a painful, romantic movie. The stars were aligned These two seemed to be a match literally made in heaven, and then nothing. Things seemed to stall out here. We get the sense, the anticipation that redemption is near for Naomi and Ruth, but we don't see the fullness of it yet. It's only in the next chapter that we will see what happens to get the ball rolling. And when you think about it, it can feel that way with our own walk with Christ. We go through life living under Satan's boot, enslaved to our sin, and we are headed for eternal and conscious torment in hell because of our rebellion against God. We were without hope, but then God did what? He caused us to take notice of his redemption, what he did to redeem us from our plight, and he revealed the name of our Redeemer to us, Jesus Christ, and he brought us to life granting us repentance and faith in this one, our Redeemer. But now here we are. We're not in heaven, are we? We are waiting month after month, year after year, decade after decade for our Redeemer to come and bring us into the full experience of our redemption by bringing us to himself. We're waiting. Just like Naomi and Ruth, we're waiting Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Paul speaks of this waiting that we are going through. Even though we are redeemed sons and daughters, yet there's a not yet aspect to our redemption. Chapter 8, verse 19, for the anxious Longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 23, 
And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. There's an aspect of our redemption that we are still waiting for. Next, uh, turn back to Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. This is the chapter where Jesus is speaking about the signs that will take place before his return. Luke 21, verse 25. He says, There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not yet seen the signs in sun, moon, and stars, despite what some have said, nor have I seen the powers of the heavens shaken. So Christ's second coming is not as close as it could be, but it is nearly 2,000 years closer than it was, isn't it, when Jesus first said those words. And the rapture of the church, which is a separate event, it's not the same thing, that could happen at any moment. We don't need to see a sign before that can happen. That could happen today. It takes place before the second coming. But our redemption is not yet, right? We can at least agree on that, the fullness of our redemption. We're not yet in heaven We do not yet see Jesus face to face, but it is close. Now, what are we to do in the meantime? When Ruth and Naomi had not yet come into the full experience of their redemption, did Ruth just sit in the house waiting for Boaz to come calling? No, she went out to the fields every day for two months, and she remained living with her mother-in-law taking care of her. What are we to do as we wait for that fullness of our redemption to take place. Well, turn over to Romans 13. Are we to go out into the forest and build some kind of commune and sing Kumbaya until the Lord comes? Is that what we're supposed to do? Romans 13, verse 11. Paul says, Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Until we see our Redeemer face to face, though the waiting can be difficult, we must continue showing loving kindness to one another, just as Ruth continued showing loving kindness to Naomi. And the day will come when our Redeemer will finally act to bring about the full experience of our redemption. 
And if you do not yet know the Lord Jesus, you need to know that you are still living in the dark. You are still enslaved to your sin. You are still headed for hell. But there is a Redeemer. There is someone who is willing to redeem you, to deliver you from what you deserve from the hand of God. And God himself has sent that Redeemer, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if you would be saved from your sin and from the wrath of God, his is the only name that you can turn to, and you must repent of your sins and surrender your life to him in faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and just all the ways that you impress upon us the significance of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't only give us doctrine, but you also record the history of people whose lives reveal the patterns of redemption that are pointing ahead to that greatest redemption that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have given us notice of our redemption and you have revealed the name of our Redeemer to us. And as we wait in the nearness of that redemption, Lord, make us faithful to you to continue showing loving kindness to one another because of the fact that you have shown such loving kindness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.